Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. My goal as her parent is not to make her into a middle-aged, white, rational, calm, slightly boring man. In that it, so, a description you know, of yourself, Ed. Yeah, you know, I, all I mean by that is, look, if, if I take tests oh, as an example, yeah, you know, my view on tests is go slow. There's a, a pile you won't know, and that's fine. And just answer the ones you know. My daughter's view is, first question's impossible. It's all a panic. Give up. Run out the room. Not wishing to be rude, but... And and just discovering the goal there is not to make her think like me. The the goal is, what, what does it look like for her to cope with a test? What does it look like for her to navigate a good... To pray in a test? Hello, this is the Faith in Parents podcast brought to you by Faith in Kids. My name is Ed. I'm the Ministry Director at Faith in Kids. I'm delighted to be coming into your ears right now, however I'm doing that, on a dog walk, in a car, sitting in the kitchen, wherever you are. We are four parents who want to raise their children to know Christ, knowing that's the best thing we could do for them. Amy, how are you today? Hello, Ed. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm delighted to be here with such great company. Do you want to introduce our other two people? Off you go, Amy. Oh, well, we've got the lovely Amanda and Karen. I won't give up more information about them. I'll let them do that themselves. Let's start with Karen. Karen, hello. It's lovely to have you. Tell us about yourself. Thank you, Amy. Nice to be here. Um, So I'm Karen Sleeman. I currently work for my church as a uh, pastoral associate working for families who have children with additional needs and mental health disorders. So I've gone through the biblical counselling programme and trained in child and adolescent mental health and I'm currently being accredited as a family therapist. Great. Ed, what is it that we're talking about today? <laughs> I was actually We've maybe say, got a little bit of Karen, <laughs> Karen, I feel pretty confident that when you meet people for the first time, you give a different list, <laughs> a different <laughs> list of who you are and how you're doing. Because I, I, just, I mean, we're all now thinking, goodness, I've got, I've got a lot of questions for Karen. Or, wow, I'm not sure I want to listen to Karen. How do I book an appointment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
lot of different hats. Uh, we're, we're talking today about hope-filled teens. So how do we help teens to navigate how they're feeling, how to love them well, how to help them understand how they're feeling? Amanda, tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, where you are now. How are you doing? Sure, thank you. Yes, it's also lovely to be here. So thank you for the warm welcome. Um, I'm from Canada originally, but based in Cambridge now in the UK. Uh, I've been here for about uh, nearly six years now, and I work full time for an organization called Biblical Counseling UK. Uh, within that, I oversee an intern training program for them. So that that keeps me on my toes and keeps me busy. Let's start with the negative. Can, can you give us a little of what what do you think parents fear about the teenage years? What are the stories you hear? What's the version you think parents think is happening? Yeah, sure. So I'm, as a full disclosure, I'm not actually a parent myself, but I've got a lot of friends and my nieces and nephews are entering that sort of teen year stage. So I think just from what I've observed and listened over the years, I've really noted a kind of sense of underlying dread leading up to the teenage years, this sort of sense of, you know, how's it going to go? What's going to happen? What sort of complicated things are we going to have to deal with? There's really this this sort of sense of bracing for a storm. But then I've noticed... We're not ready. Yeah, We're yes. not ready. We think, we think we'd understand how to do children. Yeah. And now we've got to change. We ain't ready. Yeah, exactly. And then I've noticed that when people actually do hit those teen years, it, there's such a varied experience. Some people absolutely love it. You know, they, I've, I've heard parents say that it's, it's been their favourite decade. And then I've heard very mixed responses. Uh, some people finding it sort of a variation from one day to the next on whether it's sort of enjoyable or, or not so much. <laughs> and then I've heard, you know, heard, heard from various people that it's been really, really, really hard. So even though I don't have children of my own yet, there is this sort of sense of nervousness of that stage and a little bit like it's a gamble. Um, it's just down to the luck of the draw, as it were. So that's the kind of themes that I've heard. Survival challenge. We just mm. have to grit our teeth until it's over. Yeah, yeah. Karen, could you help us a little with what what are, what are teenagers like? Now, we, we've already clarified they're all different. So if, if if we had a teenager walking through the kitchen at the moment hearing this, he's like, oh, goodness me, these, you know, these Christians. <laughs> could you just give us some insight into how teenagers are changing, what's going on for them, or just observations on what you notice? Yeah, I mean, I think most parents would notice some of the changes that are going on in those teenage years because they are fairly significant changes. There is a lot that they need to grow and learn in. And I'm just thinking in my head of some of the tasks that these teenagers need to learn to grow into adulthood. And so many parents, that sense of, you know, when you've reached the other end of teenagehood and your children are leaving and There is a sense in which they do need to separate from us as parents in a little bit. People mostly talk about it in terms of growing in independence, but I don't necessarily go for that word. I think it's interdependence, really, because they might leave home, but they never really leave your family. And, you know, we think in terms of the body of Christ, we are all interconnected and interdependent. But actually, they are growing to be interdependent. And I think that's important for us to recognise as parents, because... It's key for us to enable them to explore actually who they are and to get a sense of how they are actually different to us as parents. You know, they're not just, thankfully, many versions of ourselves. They will have their own desires and their own interests that will be different to us and sometimes maybe even uh, wildly different to us. And so I think allowing us to explore 
who they are and allowing them to explore who they are and be interested in them and learn from them too is really important. Karen, thank you. I have a teenage daughter. I think I might have actually said this already on a podcast because it's really in the last six months I've understood. My goal as her parent is not to make her into a middle-aged, white, rational, calm, slightly boring man. (laughs) Description of yourself, Ed. Yeah, you know... all I mean by that is, look, if, if I take tests as an example, yeah, you know, my view on tests is go slow. There's a, a pile you won't know, and that's fine. And just answer the ones you know. My daughter's view is first question's impossible. It's all a panic. Give up. Run out the room. No, not wishing to be rude, but and, and just discovering... The goal there is not to make her think like me. The, the goal is what, no. what does it look like for her to cope with a test? What does it look like for her to navigate a good, to pray in a test? Yeah. Her, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it would be a great thing if she knew her prayer is different to when her dad used to take tests. I, and it, it's all ridiculous. But the nature of sin, I think, is I, I, I am the worldwide genius and expert at life. And if only my three children were exactly like me and and even saying that out loud, you just mm. want to put your head in your hands and think, Ed, please don't be that parent. The world only needs one of you and it's got too many already. But equally, Ed, you can be the opposite extreme and think everything that I've ever done, please don't be like me. I, you know, yeah. so that there's both. And actually yeah, there is, it's liberating to then say mm. God yeah. has made them who they are. And the reason yeah. this sort of teenage years is so clashy is because they're becoming mm. a, they're becoming their own adult human that isn't you. So there's going to be a little yeah. bit of sparks yeah. as this, this person emerges and you take a step to the side, maybe, mm. instead of what well, I guess. I think we might come to that. Yeah, I just, a, a comment someone said to me once was that they were surprised that the experience of parenting was one of continued loss. Um, you know, from that moment you are sort of infant child it rolls rolls over for the first time and they don't need you to do that for them anymore mm-hmm. all the way through to the teen years but I'm wondering whether or not the teen years bring more of that I don't know if loss is the right word but loss in terms of emotional you know they're, they're turning to their peers perhaps more mm-hmm. rather than parents and as Karen was saying that interdependence and their, their relational landscape is changing and expanding mm-hmm. uh, and I'm wondering if whether that that can also contribute to some of that clash and some of the change that we see happening as well they're kind of already physically independent in that sense but then that teen mm-hmm. years really brings mm-hmm. on that emotional um change as well I don't remember the last day that I walked down a street with a buggy I don't remember when that was it, it must have been a time but I don't know when it was and I don't we don't need them now and I don't remember the last time that my you know 13 year old wanted a kiss goodnight instead of a hug but that happened at some point and I think, you know, there are those moments that you just think, oh, you know, that's that's gone. But equally, there are now moments when me and my son sit and watch a Marvel movie together that's just me and him with popcorn and we wouldn't have done that before. So there's loss and there's gain and it's all just change. And Amanda, I, I think the way that works itself out is to find yourself living with someone who is far closer to adulthood than childhood means we no longer can control them yes. as perhaps we could. 
Yes. Yeah. You might want to sort of turn back the clock, as it were, to where you, yeah, yeah. you could control everything, and you can't do that anymore. Yeah. You, you know, there was a time that when your child said something absolutely mortifying, you could hold their arm really tight and walk them out the room and say something in their ear. And now you can't. And if you can, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> yes. And also, I think I'd add to that as well, that they are arriving at that age where they're forming opinions and they're seeing patterns and perhaps things in you uh, and they're pointing that out. And they may or may not be accurate in the things that they're saying or seeing about you and your character and, you know, how you respond to things. But it's hard to then interact with someone who is actually going to point out your flaws, point out things that you're getting wrong. And actually, sometimes they're putting on their finger on things that are exactly right. How do you, yeah, there's a lot of things to navigate in that. Yeah, I, I remember actually a really pivotal moment with one of my daughters and um, she was really struggling with a particular, I can't even really quite remember it was, but it was protracted and long. And I pointed it out to her one time and she turned around and said, that's exactly what you do to me. It was so painful to hear, but I was so glad that she was able to say it to me because sometimes we don't see it. And often what we're seeing in our teenager are things that are probably things we need to see in ourselves as well. Mm. But I, I think even just backtracking and recognising, realising kind of what's underneath all mm. of this. Mm. Why is it that actually our teens are struggling with such big emotions? And I don't know about you, but I feel like the teenage mood swings are a bit like the temper tantrums on hormones. I mean, they just feel like <laughs> bigger and scarier temper tantrums. And and I think it's partly because the same processes are going on in their own development that actually mm -hmm. their emotions that they are experiencing are so intense and they don't know how to handle them and they don't know how to or what to do with them. And I think it's interesting if we even just think about as parents that we do want to reach the hearts of our children, but we inevitably do that through their brains and their bodies. And during the teenage years and the toddler years is the time when their brains are expanding more than any other period of time in their lives. So the emotional part of their brain is really growing streets ahead of their kind of thinking and rational thought and organisation. So they are experiencing quite intense emotions and not knowing what to do with them. And they feel out of control sometimes themselves and feel like they're going crazy and don't know why. So having someone there that can hold something of that, which it's not easy, as Amanda says, it triggers so much in us. It, it sometimes feels like they're sticking their finger into an open wound that really hurts in those big emotions. Um, but being able to sit with them in it and be present with them in it and hold it and contain it really does help them navigate some of those emotions. And then when things have calmed down to be able to help them make sense of what happened and who they are and who is the Lord in the middle of what happened in that is really key. But in the moment of that emotion, there's not a lot we can actually say and do that will be heard. It's like they've been hijacked with their emotions. Karen, I think I've heard you say before how long a feeling lasts in the life of a child after a confrontation or after a struggle that, you know, even when we think, oh, that's gone, let's talk about it now, that there's that sort of almost like a hangover that lasts for that little bit longer. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, I think that's really helpful to say because I think they can last a long time when they're not understood and they're very confusing. Mm -hmm. But if we take the time to sit with them and then say, 
you know, even to name what they're feeling, I think this feels like you're sad. Mm-hmm. Even that just helps, I guess, reduce something of the intensity of it. It's suddenly you've got a little bit of a handle on it. Oh, okay, this is sadness. And their isolation within it, maybe? Yes, um, definitely. Much better to be there with them than them going through this all on their own mm-hmm. in what feels a very dark place. Mm-hmm. And even if you feel, like I know once my daughter said to me, when and she was really angry with me, and I... I kind of wanted to be with her, but I kind of felt like she really didn't want me there at the same time. And I asked her and she said, yes, I, I, I don't want you here and I do want you here. And I thought, oh, well, that do want you here is enough for me to just stay and sit with you in it and to hug you if you allow me and to hold it for her until she is calming. And, and that way, I think emotions can almost go quite quickly once they've felt it, being with you in it. It's been named, and now we can talk about it. This is clearly hugely helpful. Sorry to say that out loud. It really is. C- can I just ask, is is there a Christian distinctive in, in this of what we're talking about? And it's okay to say, no, as Christians, we still give our children a hug, listen well, and wonder what's next. I think absolutely, definitely, a Christian perspective, because of what I think it did is Christ-like love, that Jesus entered into our world that was suffering and felt the trials and temptations of our world. He was physically present in order to save it. And I think that means that we move towards our children and we sit, not just physically, but connect with them emotionally, because that reaches their hearts, their desires, their longings, their fears. And that's the place that the Lord speaks most powerfully to them. I guess to add to that as well, I was thinking as you, as you were talking there, Karen, how this is probably going to sound a bit funny to say, but there's something about the, the element of time in all of this. You know, Karen, you were just talking about sitting down and slowing down and being present and letting those, the heat of the emotions kind of pass until you can have a conversation. I just, I'm struck by how the Lord doesn't see time or uh, kind of move in time as we often think he would. He's not he doesn't prize efficiency maybe in the same way that we do. Um, he's often slower or he often sort of sees the people rather than the other urgent needs kind of coming at him. And I guess in that sense, there too, we can model that as we move towards it and care for the teens in our lives, whether that's uh, seeing them not as a sort of product or a kind of you know outcome to kind of tweak, but actually as a person to love and actually then slowing down and moving towards them, even if that means not perhaps always being efficient in other areas of life in such a busy world that we live in it just strikes me how much of of that kind of comes into play as well mm-hmm. and, and how we model um, the lord's movement towards us in, in all of that as a parent that sounds big but that sounds hard <laughs> yeah and as much as you know we want to be there for our children we want to connect with them we want to support them of course we do because we love them there is an element of a lot of the things that you've said about it being difficult and it being a demand on you and being that the, the adult in the room what steps could we take to to have support around us? You know, I want to jump in already and say, as Christians, we've got such a good resource in the local church. We've got others around us. We've got, is there more that we can say? And there's more that we should be doing as, as parents to say, how can we get people around us in these situations? Yeah, well, Karen and I, we were just chatting about that the other day, actually. And I guess in some ways... Um, there's, there's lots of things kind of going through my mind, but I, I suppose a caveat to begin is 
in some ways it's, it's a hard one to give advice to because just as we were saying that each teen is very different the way mm-hmm. the way the different mm-hmm. ways that people will parent those teenagers will be very different too and on 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 one end you could have people who are perhaps very attuned to the emotions of their teenagers so uh, they're they're going to pick up immediately on a kind of sad day or or a bad day and that could raise all sorts of alarm bells for them when actually that's probably quite a normal experience mm-hmm. but then equally you could have parents who uh, for lots of different reasons may be less aware of the dynamics for their teens and and what sort of support or what kind of uh, resources they might need might look very quite like quite different. So I guess it's probably worth just stopping and just acknowledging that that span. So in terms of what support or resources are needed or what people can kind of move towards, I think we'll probably look different depending mm-hmm. on that. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that, as, as you said, Amy, that the local church can really play a key role in that. Um, just even the intergenerational spread that the local church has is such a a lovely uh, dynamic that contrasts perhaps a, a sort of dynamic with teens where they maybe gravitate towards peers, not only the people that they can see in person um, who are their age, but also the online peers that they can connect to who they may not know physically in person, mm-hmm. um, but actually to be then in a local community where they, they can mingle with people of different ages and stages, but also for the parents to be doing that is such a key key dynamic. I know how helpful I found it for those sort of older godly parents whose kids are perhaps older and left home you know there are those moments that I'm struggling to be objective and just thinking I just don't even know what to do here and that little voice of wisdom of this is tough and we are praying and how can we help yeah and just the being honest I think that's the hardest thing that often we kind of feel like we have to put a face on of having it together and we're splashing this that it's okay to find this hard because that's why we've got one another. So to be able to say, I'm really struggling. I need your help. Yeah. Can I tell you about this? Can you pray for us? And I think even just taking a step back on that too, is that it is really hard and we don't need to get it right all the times. You know, our parenting is about perfection. Mm -hmm. You know, it is about making mistakes and we're going to get it wrong. But it's what do we do when we make those mistakes? And I think that's just so much more redemptive than Mm. thinking that we can never make mistakes because Mm. we will very quickly be overwhelmed and we won't be able to love our children very well in the midst of that. So I guess recognizing that a part of us growing is growing through those mistakes and (laughs) receiving forgiveness and repairing those ruptures are part of growing in a family. Amanda, we're, we're hearing a lot about a deterioration in mental health. And lockdown means we hear even more about that. There is a cynical voice that just says, we've got a lot more graphs about mental health. And if you ask people about it, they'll say yes more. Could you help us to navigate the landscape a bit? And which I think affects how we parent our young people if we understand what is the culture they're in and what is the situation of mental health? Yeah, no, thank you, Ed. I mean, I guess in, in a sense, I share concerns over the, the skyrocketing rates of just deterioration and you know, sort of mental health problems. I, I think in some ways that that's hard to sort of dispute. But I guess if it would be helpful, I, I was reading uh, the other day in a, in a new book that's just been published by a psychologist in North London about why. Um, so, you know, yes, of course, we've had the pandemic. And I, I found her reflections quite helpful in, in that she was saying we've got this sort of funny sort of stage where we've got uh, probably for the first time a generation of kids who are 
being proactively parented mm. in a way that perhaps previous generations just wouldn't have been, uh, where perhaps in previous generations we would have had more of a benign neglect, as it were, where parents are kind of watching from the sidelines, largely getting their kids kind of get on with life. We've now got a real kind of culture of of parents wanting to invest in their children and give them lots of different opportunities. And all of those things are good, but that can tip over into you know, if I give, give my child X, Y, or Z, and if I do A, B, and C for them, well, then they'll turn out this way. They'll turn out well-adjusted and successful. And I think sometimes that means the child in that can get a little bit lost and feels like there be perhaps not a person to love, but a kind of product to be improved, as it were. <laughs> so you've kind of got that, and then you've got lots of busyness where there's not really time for arguments and disagreements and time to sit down and say, you know, what's going on, what's happening, but then you've also got from from the teens themselves, you've got this sort of greater distrust of authority, as it were, where their their peers are more their authority. But they've also got access to a lot of more information, um, a lot more opinions, a lot more sort of worldviews and, and ways of doing things. And so the kind of hierarchy has been flattened, um, you know, where perhaps in my parents' generation, um, sort of adults could behave in a certain way and that it would be you know, reprehensible for a child to protest or say, you shouldn't do it that way. We don't live in that world anymore. And so you've got kind of informed teens, as it were, kind of colliding with parents who have expectations. Mm. And I think in all of that, you know, in addition to other factors like a pandemic and all the rest, you've got lots of lots of kids who are just unhappy and perhaps quite lost um, in a sea of sea of confusing dynamics there. I don't know if I'm actually quite answering your question there, but I mean, you've told you've told us two amazing things that both really resonate. One is, I guess, there's a sort of teenage version of helicopter parenting, which is we never leave, yeah. we're always watching, we're we're always taking them to the next thing, and and they're not on their own to to to, to learn how to make their own mistakes, and and you've also highlighted there is much more of now an active conversation between the generations which looks like I hear parents saying, I can no longer speak openly in my own home. I get rebuked <laughs> for invading safe spaces every other sentence. Mm-hmm. I, I guess where that still leaves us, though, is that's undoubtedly the landscape. What do we do about it? What, is a, what, what, what can a parent actively be? What choices can we be making? Amanda, are you first of all saying, let's not wonder too much about what our young people are doing? I mean, is that, I mean, that would be one conclusion is actively neglect them occasionally, if not quite a lot of the time. That sounds achievable, Ed. Let's hope it's a yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking, come on, Amanda, this is the parenting we want more of. Well, I feel like I'm I'm on dangerous ground now because I'm not a parent myself. So I feel quite reluctant to People answer that question. People should get out of jail free, Carter. We'll run. Yeah. yeah. That's right. We'll take your advice, Amanda. We'll go. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I think, yeah. It's a good question. And um, Karen, I'm sure you've got lots of thoughts on it too. I suppose it's probably not so much a kind of, oh, let's revert back to that sort of benign neglect. I think it's perhaps more... It sounds achievable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's perhaps more examining what is the atmosphere in my home? Um, mm-hmm. Is it an atmosphere where we are hovering? Is it an atmosphere where we are uh, inviting good conversations, but also allowing our teens to make those mistakes and you know feel the consequences of some of their actions sometimes? 
So I, I guess that's that's a big one coming to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, I I think I would agree that, um, and it goes back to that sense of allowing them to discover who they are and giving them space to do that. And there's another version of parenting called the um, snowplow parenting, where you actually clear the path ahead of them so that they don't stumble over any broken bits or brambles. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be unhelpful as well because mm-hmm. they really do need to learn how to navigate some of the uncertainty and the, I guess barbs that come in our way or the stumbles that come along that we might want to protect them from and actually I think it's in those places you know if our children do have faith it's when they're encountering countering those obstacles that that actually the law can become more real to them and it's no longer just an abstract truth but a real sense of lived out reality I have to navigate this obstacle that Mm. feels very painful and very hard for me Mm. Uh, he can become a real refuge for them in those places and and the way that we um, listen to them and enable them to see his work in that is really important too so I think they are places but if our children aren't Christians it's often in those hard places that they begin to see something of their need for him and actually begin to perhaps think he is relevant and he can speak into some of these hard places. And um, so they might be the very places where a teenager can turn to him. I feel like those teenage years are sometimes like jumping off a cliff without a parachute. Um, but they have insane courage. They are incredibly brave at that time. And if they know that the everlasting arms of the Lord are underneath and he will carry them to their destination, then that does give them courageous love and a courageous engagement with life and a willingness to kind of make some of those hard choices uh, and hard decisions in those tricky times. So if we try to take all of that away from them, it's a little bit like that treasures in jars of clay that we want to kind of just patch up all the broken bits, but then we're at risk of not seeing the Lord's glory shining through them or his work at them that is in, in them at mm. that moment. And I want you to be strong and I want you to be brave and I want you to be courageous and I want you to stand up for what you believe and I want you to stand up against culture to be uniquely, distinctly Christian, but I don't want you to stand up against me. So like that mixed message of this sort of, you know, standing up and being different and having the courage to do that. But then don't be different from from the child that I've planned for you to be that makes my life easier. That, you know, it is I think I, I've heard I've heard both of you talk about the sort of parenting boot camp that the teenage years is. That, you know, as much as we then say to parents, you, you children are God's gift to parents and parents are God's gift to children, it's no different in teenagers. It's just what he's working on is different in their heart and yours. And you learning to trust him and maybe let go and prize your fingers off the steering wheel of your kid's life and your kids learning to trust the Lord and maybe their parents less, their peers less, themselves less. That's going to be a rocky ride, but a worthwhile one. Asking questions, I I think, is a great way to go with teenagers. It it forces us as parents not, not to be telling them what we think, what would we do? The discipline of asking a question that might be, how does being a Christian change this situation? That moment of utter tension or fear you experience today at school. I wonder what difference it makes that we're Christians. I wonder what we pray in that moment. And to have the discipline not to give your answer and and to allow them to have a go and think, that sounds great. Well done. Why don't we pray that now? I think I see that in myself, that I I want to blurt out my version all the time. 
they do know they have they have heard what the bible says they have been in church yeah. they have been talking about it they have been listening yeah and actually i think if we don't ask the questions we also really miss learning from them and and we have much to learn from them i think teenagers are incredibly thoughtful and they care really deeply mm-hmm. and I know in our own family at the moment, there's lots of conversations going around gender identity and transgender because all of our our teens have friends who are experiencing a tension Mm. with their identity. And they have been able to navigate something of that with that tension of grace and truth that I actually find so difficult. Um, But they really reflect Christ in that in ways that I I know he is working them I'm so struck by what he can do in those places that feel so hard and that I can learn from them and and it often makes me think of um you know when Jesus you know he he opposes adultery but the way he treats the woman caught in adultery uh with such tenderness and love and care that without actually you know recognizing something of the gravity of what's happened um but actually the teenagers they're at the coalface on these things and we have a lot to learn from them and how to hold and extend a hand of grace and truth lovingly and graciously and wisely that i think if i hadn't have asked the questions and if i had have said you you have to think this way or say those things i would never have learned from them and i would have been the poorer for it Amanda, it would be amazing to me if we had listeners who, with with a teenager in their home who wasn't experienced in conflict, tension, some shouting, some... I I always feel very sad going to bed with a conflict unresolved with my children. I I always think, how much of this is stubbornness, a refusal to apologise? How much of this is wisdom and just leaving it for a minute? I'd goodness i'm not asking which it is amanda but amanda (laughs) give us give us some help with have you got some top tips some thoughts that in in the heat between two people who are now tall enough to look each other in the eye the parent and the child how we navigate this Mm, yeah good question i guess the, the two words that are coming to my mind immediately are just slow down i know for myself in in heated moments how quick i am to say things that i then later regret and things that can so easily tear down the relationship so i think when you've got that moment where you're both angry and words are being said and doors are being slammed um actually going back to karen's point is that the best time to try and figure out, you know, what, what's going on? Probably not. You probably need to take some some time out, as it were, and slow down until the heat of the moment has passed so that you can come back to have that conversation and ask those questions of what's happened. But actually, again, coming back to, to what I was saying earlier, it's also a point and a time to, to go away and perhaps take that time out and think what was going on in my own heart in that moment. Why? were they pushing my buttons? What what buttons were being pushed? Um, and, and why did that matter so much to me? And why did that kind of response come out of me? So I, again, I think those kind of conflict moments, they're always, well, they can be actually quite ugly and painful. And we, you know, we'd love to avoid them at all costs. But but actually, I think when you've got that perspective that this can be a redemptive opportunity to get to know my teen more, to get to know my own heart more and together try and sort of chart a way forward for us relationally, but also move towards the Lord in that and mm-hmm. and know his grace and mercy in those moments. Actually, those moments, as as ugly as they can be in the moment, 
can actually later on then then become really redemptive as you actually grow in your understanding of each other. Because I think so often we approach those conflict situations and, you know, as soon as they're kind of over and the screaming stopped, as it were, it's like, well, we'll just kind of sweep that under the carpet and move on. Uh, when actually, you know, again, our hearts are on display in those moments and it's it's worth where we can. It's not always, you know, there's, there's sometimes where you do just have to get on with things, but where you can to stop and pause and, and come back and rebuild. So I feel like we're still, we, we're still saying this is hard. <laughs> we're still, we're still yeah. saying this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Grit your teeth. It'll be over one day, but at least you've got Jesus. <laughs> Which maybe that's enough. It, arguably, the Bible says that's enough. But um, I need more hope. I've had a tough day, Amanda. I need more hope. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. It is. I think. I think it is worth being realistic mm-hmm. that it that it is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, there's there's a place to stop and lament in that as well. Um, you know, rather than just gritting your mm-hmm. teeth, actually pouring out your heart as a parent to the Lord in that. And I think the Psalms really help us do that well. You know, the how long, O Lord, kind of questions can kick in there. About 12 years. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I really, I think it's, I think it's Paul Tripp in his Age of Opportunity book, mm-hmm. book actually says, see this, see this season as a mission. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is going to be hard. You know, there's lots of other kinds of areas in life that we move towards that we know will be hard, but that doesn't mean it's not worth mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that the things that you're doing day in and day out are not incredibly valuable. I actually remember my own teen years and just thinking some of the conversations that I had, both with parents, actually one moment coming to mind is when my dad came to me after a fight and said, I'm sorry. Mm. That has stood out to me and has shaped my view that actually as adults, we do, we can take responsibility for our actions when we get things wrong. And should I become a parent someday? That's huge. Mm. I know it's a small moment. He probably doesn't even remember it, but I do. Mm. So that, that kind of, that daily grind, as it were, it may feel like gritting your teeth, but actually those small moments is when glorious things actually happen. So it may not be that you have a sort of, you know, day where everything is wonderful and suddenly the t- you turn the corner and it's all great from there on. Um, it may be actually that the, the glory of these years, the, the opportunity, the hope, the promise, uh, the value actually plays out in the really small mm-hmm. moments. And I think that's worth mm. holding on to. And that God is up to something good. Even if mm. I can't see it, that is what faith looks like. Yeah. yeah, and I think what you're doing is truly transformative within a family. That's the context in which mm. children grow to understand who they are and who God is. And and in the messiness of those relationships to be able to turn to him and learn from him and receive him. Uh, in the conflict, it's not about avoiding the conflict, is that it is about growing and deepening our understanding of one another and our love for one another and the ability to reconcile and forgive. And, and all of that is um, shaping our heart and enabling us to reflect Christ all the more. And and also to know that when we get it wrong, you know, there's a place we can go mm. to. And and what a huge comfort that we can turn and know that the Lord has our children in his hands and he has us in his hands too. Mm. And I think, you know, I, I want my kids to have those skills, to have those skills of being able mm. to say sorry, to forgive others, to resolve mm. conflict, to understand their, their emotions. And so probably what God has given them is parents to learn how to do that with before they have to do that on their own. There's... um. A principle I think we try to tell parents, which is when you have a three or four year old, 
you really have to speak the wisdom right into the moment because they're going to forget it happened in about one minute. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in the teenage years, it could it could take days before you get to speak wisdom, before you get to open a Bible, before you get to ask questions about the issue, because the hurt and the pain and the rawness lasts, I think, so long. Mm. So, and I don't think, <laughs> I don't think much wisdom can be heard or offered if if you're both shouting. I don't think many people have ever shouted successfully, we're just now going to pray! <laughs> oh, I have tried. Okay. Will you please open your Bible because I've got a verse to look at. So I, I, I think... I think I think in 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 the tension and the heat to be saying to yourself exactly as Amanda said calm down slow down and then to say at the end just apologize or you're too angry to apologize let's come back to this if this issue was important enough that we have just fallen out if this issue is important enough that we can't talk for 2 hours then it's surely important enough in 3 days time to say what was going on there? How did I get that wrong? Yeah. yeah, it's so important we do come back to it and not just forget. And I think part of it too is building that culture of conversation even outside of those heated moments because I think if the only time that you're then stopping and pausing and asking questions and trying to learn more about your teen and, and, your, and yourself, you know, if, if that's only happening in the context of conflict, mm-hmm. That feels disingenuous. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about being curious and asking questions. You know, ask them about why they're interested in painting their fingernails black. I don't know, you know, things like that. You, we've got to be interested in all of their lives and and be asking those questions so that the relationship is there. May I recommend, Ed, next time you're wanting to do the shouting thing of let's get our Bibles open, <laughs> that maybe perhaps we should... Try just a little walk. I find little walks. Let's have a little walk outside and look at the sky. You're going to walk next to me. We're not going to look at one another. We're not going to say anything. And we're just going to have a walk. I need trees. And then and then we've had a breathe and we could come home and go, do you want to talk about this now or another time? <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That's what it's like in my world. <laughs> Why did that matter to you? Why do you think that mattered to me? Okay, and if, if you're... Not as calm as Amy. It's okay to go for a walk without your teenager. (laughs) (laughs) To look at the sky, to look at the trees and to come back and suggest they do the same, but on a different route. (laughs) Thank you very much to both of you. Um, We we have heard you recommend Paul Tripp's uh, Age of Opportunity. Uh, Are there other books, talks, websites, uh, people? That, that you would just send us to for, for navigating these teenage years. Amanda? Yeah, I've really uh, enjoyed reading uh, one of Julie Lowe's books called, oh gosh, I'm forgetting, Child, Childproof. Child, Childproof, mm. there we go, Childproof. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not a parent and I loved reading it just to kind of have that framework of every child is unique and how do we move towards them? So that, that is one that I would heartily recommend. She does have a second one called Building Bridges, which is more sort of exercises to do with, with teenagers to connect to them. But that might not be sort of as, as useful depending on, uh, on your context. But those two books have been ones that I've really loved. Thank you. Karen, anything to add? 
No, I mean, they would be my two go-to books too, The Age of Opportunity and Julie Lowe's books. But um, even, you know, the CCF website or Busy UK will sometimes have blogs on parenting and navigating, you know, concerns around children. So they would be places I would also go to. So maybe in our show notes, Karen, you you could just give us a few recent blogs. So they will go out of date, but it might just be people start there, get a sense of what... BC UK is offering so that then they can search through for some more. Yeah. Thank you. Karen, are you willing to pray for our listeners, particularly those who are in these teenage years and perhaps are a bit sad that this podcast hasn't given them all the answers? (laughs) Sure. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are not far off and that you entered our world in the Lord Jesus. And you know the brokenness, the trials and the tribulations and the hardness of this world. And yet, Lord, through the Lord Jesus, we find genuine hope, real restoration and forgiveness. And thank you, Lord, that as we turn to you, as we seek your grace and your mercy, Uh, as we know your patience with us, as we feel the way that you love and hold us, the refuge that you are for us. Enable us, Lord, to be Christ-like in the way we love our teenagers, to show that same love, that same mercy, that same grace, uh, that same patience. Lord, thank you that in the midst of what can feel so hard, but is also such a privilege Please help us to reflect you all the more in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much, Karen. Just time for us to say goodbye. Thank you very much. Find these resources if by any chance this podcast has not (laughs) solved all your parenting of teens issues. Thank you very much for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.